Shalom Aleichem, good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to those joining us live, to those who are joining us on Chabad.org, to those who will be watching this at a later time, at a later date. Welcome and Mazel Tov, as we conclude Sefer Zmanim, and today begin Hilchus Ishus, book number four of the Rambam. As we do each time, we celebrate the conclusion of a Sefer by having a guest who will add some excitement some enthusiasm, some zest to our learning. Uh, though these are, quote-unquote, micro after each Sefer, the fact that we do mark these occasions gives us the accomplishment of knowing that Baruch Hashem, we have met, God has given us the ability and the good strength and health to be able to come to this occasion. And God should give us the ability to move forward, to be able to study the Book of Nashim with greater enthusiasm, with greater energy, and we are honored to have with us Rabbi Shuchat, Rabbi Shalom Shuchat, who is a returning guest on the uh, Siyum program. We haven't had that many returning guests, so this is obviously a sign that it was very much enjoyed last time. And the last time, I believe we were more in the field of Rabbi Shuchat's no, well, more well-known expertise, which is in the laws of Mamanus, in Cheshen Mishpat, in judicial law, in financial discussions, but here we are, and Rabbi Shuchat is now going to take us a little bit through the book of Zmanim. Welcome, Rabbi Shuchat. You should please, can we ask the moderator to please unmute? Oh, Shalom Aleichem. Thank you very much for taking the time for joining us. And I understand that uh, you actually in the Kailo recently uh, that you direct, uh, in addition to being a well-known halachic authority in, in specifically uh, joining Bezdin's courts of uh, laws in uh, uh, in judicial and financial matters, you also oversee uh, a premier kolo in uh, Crown Heights, and you've recently finished studying uh, many of the issues that we'll be talking about today. So I just want to get right, jump right in to the beginning of the book. And the beginning of the book begins in the laws of Shabbos. So you are not the traditional uh, pulpit rabbi that gets asked the questions of uh, my chalant is here and my spoon fell here. Uh, you deal with uh, larger issues, if there is such a thing, if we can talk about a larger issue. But please, if, if I had to ask you, all give us... All issues oh, is, you can't say large or small. All issues are equal, thank you, Rabbi. But if I had to ask you for how about not large or small, but something that pops in your mind, an interesting story, question, uh, something that comes to your mind out of the box, you might have recently been dealing with the laws of Shabbos, and we'll actually go through the book quickly together. So let's start with the beginning. Okay, so if we're going to talk about Hilcha Shabbos, uh, actually we'll start with uh, the Gemara says that when, uh, when you start learning Titus, the teacher is supposed to start with something which is on the lighter side, which will make people laugh, they get into the mood, into the mode of learning. So we'll start with a story which is an interesting halacha question, but uh, I'm sure some of the people, most people here will enjoy the answer. I got a call once from a uh, rabbi of a uh, big congregation that uh, he, uh, he speaks every Shabbos after, after Kriyasa Teira. And, uh, and uh, there's, there's air conditioners in the summer. And uh, usually his voice is strong enough to be able to overcome the noise of the air conditioners. But his, uh, his voice went, uh, went south at some point. And his voice was that Shabbos, he had a hard time speaking. And uh, some people came to him, they couldn't hear him in show. So he was. He asked me, "Is it allowed to on Shabbos to, to uh, ask a, to ask a guy to turn off the air conditioner before he starts speaking and turn it back on when he's done when he's done speaking? So that way nobody's going to get too hot in the show." 
Well, so first of all, that limits the, the amount he can speak because if he speaks for too long, it'll get hot. I guess so. Well, I guess he doesn't have the standard amount of time. So I turned to him and I asked him a very simple question. Do you have Goyim to come to your show? And his answer was yes. So I told him, okay, so we have a way out of this problem. And I'm going to just, uh, just uh, discuss, explain why. Uh, I'm sure everybody learned over here knows this is Allah. You're not allowed to ask a guy to do something which you yourself are not allowed to do on Shabbos. If you ask a guy to do something for you on Shabbos, or even if you hinted to him that in an indirect hint, you're also not allowed to uh, do it. And in certain scenarios, you might not have you may not have any hanoia from it on Shabbos, definitely sometimes even after Shabbos. However, there's an interesting uh, three, I want to three short things from the which would give you the answer to this. It says one in Shin Zion, it says, you know, that I tell a guy to do a malacha for another, for himself, but you could tell a guy, do a malacha for yourself, for the guy, or for another guy, even if the Jew is going to end up having enjoyment from it. For example, the example that Tebbe gives us tells a guy, go, uh, your, your house is on fire, go extinguish the flames. He's going to get Hanoi from it. However, that only works because it's in the guy's house. But you can't tell a guy, do something with my, with my, uh, with my chafetzim, with my uh, objects on Shabbos, even if you, because then it looks like you're telling, like the guy is becoming your shliach to do it, even if the only reason you're telling him to do it is for his own benefit, right? That's on Shabbos. There is an interesting Kuntra Sachem from Altev and Simulation Hey, where he tells you, that even when you tell a guy to do something for himself in something which belongs to you, that only applies when it's done, when you tell the guy on Shabbos. But if you tell the guy before Shabbos, and the guy is not your employee, you tell the guy before Shabbos, you could use my this, use my tools and do something for the benefit of another guy, then it's motive. So I told the shliach, I know that. When you have Goyim and Shul, probably they're the guys that are listening the best to your to your speeches. The Jews are probably out during Kiddush Club. So if you have the Goyim there, they're the ones listening to your speeches. Tell one guy to turn off the air conditioner so the other guy could hear you well, and then you're good to go. As long as you tell it to them before Shabbos, just don't tell them on Shabbos to do uh, to do this melacha. I think we're done with the first topic. I, I, can, I don't see anybody. Everybody's on mute, so I don't hear if anybody took it the right way or the wrong way. So that's, I don't know if it's good or it's bad. Thank you, thank you. Okay, let's move along. So we start out, the, the Rambam begins telling us, the law tells us about the guy. Um, this is an issue, and I know that you've actually looked into this. I personally am not a big coffee drinker, but there is now within the world, one has to have a, a coffee that has uh, five adjectives when you order from Starbucks or else it doesn't cut, uh, doesn't meet the cut. Uh, on Shabbos, coffee. I know there's something called French press. Maybe we'll even put up a picture on, on the screen if we can get. Can one create French press coffee on Shabbos. If you could just give us a brief description, maybe I'll even put it up and, and, and share if I have permission to share a, uh, a uh, if the host can give us permission here, but go ahead. The host, the host has to let you uh, share. Otherwise, okay, go ahead, go ahead. You start, you start. You give, give us, okay, give us 120 seconds. seconds on French press coffee. Okay, so there's a traditionally Jews drank uh, tasteless choice coffee, instant coffee on Shabbos with cliche and it doesn't taste that good for people who appreciate coffee. I'm not one of those people that I can handle all those instant coffee. But there are people who want to have brewed coffee on Shabbos. And they pour the hot water into the coffee. 
Then there's a way of doing it if you don't just brew it into the filter. There's a container where the grains of where the grounds of coffee are mixed with the water, and on the top part of it, it has like some kind of of strainer. And and when you when after the coffee sits enough time with the with the hot water, you slowly push the strainer down. There you go. You push the strainer down. This what you see on the bottom. That's the strainer. Usually, it's all the way on the top. And then the whole thing is filled with grind and with uh, water. It's mixed together. Then when you're ready to drink coffee, you push that strainer all the way down to the bottom slowly. And then the water, the coffee is on top and all the grinds are on the bottom. So I'm not going to go into the discussion about about, about uh, the questions of coffee, if it's considered, a, if, if it's a Kalia Bishul, if it's considered a spice, if it's a Makabe Patish, well, that's all not, I'm not getting into that now. I want to focus specifically on what's the French press element, because other things are relevant even with no French press. The first problem you have is biter. You have two main problems over here. Well, one main problem is biter. The one I want to talk about, biter. Everybody knows that the issue of biter. We learned it in, uh, in, in the Rambam. It's not a big Kiddush that everybody knows. You know how to separate something bad from something good. You know how to take something bad out of something good. You know how to use a specific vessel which is made, a keli which is made to do biter. And you know how to do it for later. But if you have all three conditions in reverse, that you do the biter with your hand, that you only biter what you want to use now, and that you biter the good from the bad, that's permitted. Right? Those are those are the three ways to do biter. That, that biter is is permitted. Now there is a halacha. Regarding wine, which has which has uh, some kinds of uh, sediment in it, that that uh, that uh, being that the wine is drinkable even with the sediment in it, uh, then then, then uh, even though some people are picky and not going to drink it with it, it's still it's still not considered bitter. So I'm not going to go now into the discussion of that there are people from my heritage that they never use a filter for coffee. And they just put the, the Turkish coffee right into the hot water, let it settle on the bottom, and then drink it. And you get a few pieces. You get a few pieces. Not the end of the world. That's how we drink coffee. But uh, the Americans are mafunakim, and they need they need to have the filter. So they don't get chas Don't get a single piece. Don't get a single piece into it. So the question is, how are we going to use? Are we allowed to use this? This. Well, you got this, 60 uh, seconds to give us the answer, Abba. This machinery. So the answer is very simple. There's a there's a Shulchan which says that you know whoever knows is there's these old uh, tea kettles which had in the used to put the tea with the tea leaves with the hot water and at the edge of the kettle there was like a little filter kind of thing, and he says it's not considered a problem, because you're not interested in biter. All you're interested in doing is to pour the tea out, and the only well, only thing that happens is that these these pieces these leaves are getting stuck in the in the in the strainer. So if you're pouring it out, you're not doing anything. Now we hear the problem is you're pushing it down with your hands. The question is you're pushing it down with your hand is that, a, first of all, it's not a cleave for boiling. It's a cleave for making coffee. So you don't have that problem. Second of all, you're not doing it for later because you want to drink the coffee when it's hot. The only, the only problem is when you're pushing it down, what are you doing? Are you separating bad from good or good from bad? It's the last question we have. So essentially what you're doing is you can look at it from both ways. I say when you're pushing the thing down, you're not pushing the grinds down, you're pushing the coffee up because that's the only thing you care about. You don't care if the grinds would fall to the bottom, you're fine. 
So that's why once you push it down, as long as you leave some of the liquid mixed with the grains, you can pour it out. That's my view on the matter. Some people do disagree with me, so do not pass it based on what I told you. Ask your local Orthodox rabbi or you will burn. Thanks. <laughs> okay, let's move along. I've, we have uh, two more questions over here, okay? One, 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 another thing that came in, we have over the summer, we learned, we're moving along to the laws of Erevin, uh, we just walking. Jumped half a book. What? We just jumped like a half a book. Ilkha Shabbos to Erevin. Erevin is all the way, it's 20 something chapters now. We're not going through every chapter, Rabbi. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> um, taking walks on Shabbos, uh, many people are out in, in the country or out in different places. Uh, give us some general guidelines. How many steps? When I talk about a, a meal, it's a kilometer. Uh, how do I figure that? And really, we're going to we want to do this in, in, in two, three minutes, each question. Okay, so the, in short, there's a concept of Erev Tchumen, that person is not allowed to leave on um, Shabbos, you're not allowed to walk more than 2,000 mil, um, which is this one, just about one. 2,000 mil. 2,000 mil. On Shabbos. And, uh, and uh, you could do an Erev Tchumen, which means you put something, uh, some food in the middle of the way after 2,000, you got another 2,000 to go. When you measure a city to determine, once you, when you're in the city limits, you're fine. Once you start, you go and you measure the houses that are close to each other. And then you, you make like on the map, you make like a path around the houses. Then you put a square, you square it all out. And this is what's called the city. Then you have 2,000 Amis in each direction. If you want to do an eight of Tchumen, you do 2,000 and another 2,000. So you have 4,000 in one direction. When you're in a place like the upstate New York, I don't know how many people here from upstate visited there, but you have bungalow colonies. Each bungalow colony, you don't, you have much more than the shear between one bungalow colony and another bungalow colony. You can't square it out. There's a lot of trees and, and bears in between. So you have to just uh, figure out how it's done. So let's say you make the square. Now, if I'm in a place, a big bungalow colony, and there's right next to it another bungalow colony, and there's the two, so you can make a big square. So I could do technically, and then the next bungalow colony is less than 4,000 away from bungalow colony A. So I make my square, I put something in the middle, and I could walk from bungalow colony A to bungalow colony B. But if I'm in bungalow colony B and I make the square, I'm not going to be able to reach bungalow colony A because it all depends how you make the square. Once you make the circle, you make a square around it. And now, so it could be that when you're in bungalow colony A, you can go to B. But if you're in B, you can't go to A. Even if you make an Eruv, you're going to be more, more of a distance between the, even though you looks on the map, you would say, you know, the distance from uh, New York to Philadelphia is the same as from Philadelphia to New York. But not when it comes to Eruv Tchumen. comes to Eruv Tchumen, the distance from one place to another is dependent on how you make the square. It could be one way will be permitted. The other way will not be. Are there well known, is there like a map of, are you familiar with any, like in bridges in New York? Um, which bridges, yes, which there's no, where you can walk. Have you ever seen a map of, 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 of Jewish communities where you can walk in the summer? There is a place in, in, in Muncie, you pay them a few dollars, they come, they measure, they give you a map. They go upstate every year, the, the different bungalow colonies, different cities they have for Monticello, for every place they have a map which has the bungalow colonies and the camps and they have around it a, red, a yellow circle and a red circle so you could do which direction you want to go at and then what's your prohibited to go past that. Uh -huh. Okay, there's a business venture to be made over here with someone opening a website. It's, it's already done in Muncie. In upstate New York, it's already taken care of. Somebody already thought of it. <laughs> okay, moving along. Let's gonna, we'll do one question on Yom Tov and one question at the end over here. Someone came, th these are some questions that came in. Um, a 
left-handed person, a left-handed person, myself, um, what hand would I take the lulav and esrog? Okay, so in in a in a uh, we'll discuss something a little bit similar to that, not exactly that, and that connects us from Sefer's manam to Sefer Nashim. So it's really it should have done this question last, but it's fine if you could have done. But there's stories like this. There's a discussion by the by the Tzemach Tzedek regarding a regarding putting on film. Um, a lefty putting on film, or somebody who has a a uh, somebody who's right, who's, who was born a righty, but his right hand uh, got uh, cut, and now his he's using his left hand. He only has his, he only has the the upper part, the upper arm. His left hand is now the one that he uses mostly. The discussion about putting on film is about three chuvas of the Tzemach Tzedek. The same chuvas also discuss mention that bring the idea of lulav in between it. Interestingly, and it also discusses chalitza. So you got yourself covered for three books of Rambam in one in one chuva of the the book that we were before, the book that we are now, and the book that we're starting. So when it comes to that, he discusses this whole idea about tefillin, and one of the things that he brings is the Altarebbe. Interestingly, in Shulchan Aruch, when it comes to the Tilas Lulav, says that somebody in Tafresh Nun Aleph, that this person who was right hand was born a righty, but then by uh, by need became a lefty because his right hand got destroyed. So he he holds the lulav and esrig, um, he has to hold it with his arm, whatever is left of it, of the right, and not use his left his left hand. Why? Because he's not considered a lefty just because the right hand doesn't exist anymore. Um, he becomes he becomes a lefty if he's born a lefty. And used based on that, he also paskins regarding regarding uh, regarding tefillin, and it's the different Nehemia, who was the Talmud of the of the Alter Rebbe, also says says uh, also explains this uh, this idea that we go based on strength. Being that the, this person who lost his arm is still stronger in the right hand, he's still a righty by strength. So when he's going to put on the tefillin, when he's going to do lulav, he's going to use his left hand. He's going to use his. He can't use his left hand. He's going to use whatever is left of his right hand. And that's why he says, being that we go based on strength and not based on which hand you use more. That's why the Alter Rebbe Paskin the Lulav, that he uses his whatever is left of his right hand and not his left hand, which right now is a stronger one. Uh huh. Okay. When it comes to Chalitza, doesn't the Ramam tell us that if you don't have a hand, you can't do Chalitza because the Torah specifically tells no, us about a hand. Oh, that's the whole discussion. That's that's that Chuva is uh, three quarters of it is discusses this Chalitza, the Machlekes regarding uh, regarding that. So this, uh, since you're going to have to get other people to speak. So next round, when you get ask the next rabbi to speak about this show, it's about chalitza, and it'll be a continuation to what I said. Hopefully. We'll okay. <laughs> All right. As we about to conclude over here, a closing thought. We just concluded. We're now. We just in the three weeks. We're in the nine days. We just learned about Hilchas Tainus. Uh, we ended. Can you give us one final thought here as we're about to head towards Rosh Chodesh of uh, and uh, the three weeks. <coughs> I want to use uh, I'm going to use a, a a topic that's interesting, very a phenomenal minor from the Rebbe, and this is this somewhat connects to the halachas of Cholamayit and the halachas of the three weeks. We all in Cholam we all know Cholamayit you're not allowed to make weddings. We all know that on the three weeks you're not allowed to make weddings. The Sfardim is from the the nine different Shchedish, and the Ashkenazim are Machmed and Amos says you Machmed to go all the way from the from the beginning of the three weeks. 
Interestingly, in the Primigodim on Simon Tav Kuf Nun Aleph, he says that when he discusses what it says, if you don't make weddings, he says that regarding the din of Machzer Grushosa, if a man was already married to a woman, divorced her, now he has a mitzvah of bringing her back, marrying her again. He says the whole idea of getting married is going to cause you happiness. You're already married to this woman, you dumped her. It's not the love simcha it's, it's not a happiness to him. So maybe it's probably mutter, maybe it's also. And he brings a proof, he says, that the reason why he thinks it's mutter, he ends it's tzarechim, but he says the reason why he thinks it's mutter is because it is it is like cholamoyed. He says, look in cholamoyed over there. It says that the that the simetov kufmen vav the shochanach clearly writes mutter lahachzik rushasi in cholamoyed. And over there it's explained that Teisus says because it's not the same. It's not the same simcha. It's not it's not so much simcha. And uh, so now, why why am I mentioning this? There's and I'm sure people know there's a time when the the, when a lot of Russians came from uh, from Russia, the Lubavitchers would make weddings, uh, group weddings for them. So they shouldn't, they, they didn't have chuppah kedushin in Russia. They would get married to make a, a, a big chuppah, which would be for 10, 10, 20 people at a time. And then the, all these people, the woman would go to make and the men would, uh, would have a chuppah. In Tammuz, in the middle of the three weeks of Tavshin Nun, Rabbi Zaltzman of Toronto wrote to the Rebbe that he wants to make in Yudalat Kislev, the following year, he wants to make a mass wedding for 10 people who weren't married yet, the, that who didn't have Kadas Moshe Yisrael. It means right now, uh, maybe the woman did go to Mikveh, didn't go to Mikveh, but they're not living in the, they don't have a Chop of a Kedoshim. The Rebbe circled those words of not having a Chop of a Kedoshim. He wrote like this, V'roitzim chas v'sholom mitches yisrael chamesh chadoshim, and push it over five months, im avad hoyo mechapes v'shoyel rav poisik dinim apishul chonoruch, if this group of people that are arranging this wedding would have found a rob, which passes according to Shulchanaruch, he would definitely be matir and instruct you to do this, even during the three weeks, come over and it's obvious. Wow. That is the Rebbe's answer. So you could look at it from two ways. Either you could say, these people are living in, uh, I don't know, living in sin, complete sin, but definitely not the proper way. So they're not going to push them off. Even in the three weeks, you got to save them. Or you could say maybe it's because it's based on what I just mentioned from the from the prima godim. That it's not You're still living with her, but it's not the same simcha as getting married the first time. As guys getting married, you're living with her for 20 years. So that's why, that's why maybe that maybe I don't know what the Rebbe's reasons. The Rebbe writes come over, and it's obvious. I don't know. It's obvious because the Rebbe said it. But what's the reason the Rebbe didn't write the Maramokim? So it's left to us to decide based on where which svara it could work with. Rabbi, thank Rabbi, you very, very much. You you. I hope you don't have any more questions for me. <laughs> thank you very much. And this actually is a beautiful segue to Rabbi Shulchan. I'd like to honor you. We're going to pull up on the board now the very final halacha, talking about the peace of the home, bringing of husband and wife together, the value of having light in the home, even more than spreading it outside. Before you can spread light outside the home, we spread light in the home. And if we can please ask you, here we go, to please read for us the final halacha of Sefer's mouth. If a person has, has, a, has only enough, uh, enough money to only purchase one candle, either either the candle for his house, which is for Shabbos, which is for Shalom Bayes, or and and the Neir Chanukah, or Neir Beisoy, he has only enough for Shabbos candles for Kiddush Hayoyim, and and uh, to do Kiddush, Neir Beisoy, the Shabbos candles take precedence. Mishum Shalom Beisoy, because to have peace in your house, 
Shadei Hashem Nimchok, last Hashem Benish Nishim, because we know, you learned Saita not so long ago, the idea of Saita that Hashem's name, Hashem agreed that his name should be erased for just for the purpose of making peace between man and his wife. And therefore, the fact that the candles of Shabbos are stronger even than Kiddush, even definitely more than Hanukkah. And it concludes, God so great is peace. The whole Torah was given for the purpose of, of bringing peace in the world. As it says about the Torah, the paths of Torah are pleasant, and all its ways are peace. Mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov. We are now going to begin right away. We're now going to right away begin. The Rambam begins. The Torah is the instructions of the wise man, and it is a spring of life for all of us. And we turn to it, and when we turn to it, it takes us away from any traps of death. And we begin with the very first halacha, which is, Before the giving of the Torah, a man met a woman in the marketplace. If there was consensual will on their, both their parts, then they can, he, she can bring, he can bring her into his home and they can live together as husband and wife. But once a Torah is given, now, after the giving of the Torah, if a man wants to marry a woman, before they actually engage in marriage, before he, she brings him to live in his home, they have to have form, some form of acquisition that's created by two witnesses. And only then can they be married as husband and wife. As it says, a man has to gikach, a man has to take, transfer the woman into his own, into his pride, into uniquely designated to him. And only then can they engage and live as husband and wife. Thank you very much, Rabbi Shucha Debish. should give you long, healthy years to continue being Marbitz Torah, teaching Torah, and being a Pesach of Torah throughout all. Thank you very, very much, Rabbi Shucha. Thank you for joining us. We are now going to put up on the board the quiz, the quiz for Sefer Zmanim. And here we go. Please follow along with the questions. See your test your knowledge. Here we go. Which of the following halachas are not discussed in his Sefer Zmanim? Is it? Number two, which set of halachas in Zmanim has a grand total of 30 prakim? Is it Shabbos, Shvisa Sasser, Kiddush HaChedosh, or Erevin? Number three, what is the measurement of a roichav hasit? It's mentioned in Hilcha Shabbos. Is it from the knee until the ankle? Is it from the thumb until the pinky when the fingers are stretched open to the limit? Is it from one ear to the other when measuring over the head? Or is it from the shoulders until the elbow? Number four, what kind of behavior does the Rambam say is not the joy of Yom Tov, rather it's the joy of one's stomach? Is it when a person eats a meal but skips going to Davin and Shul? Is it when a person goes to Davin and Shul but doesn't go to a public shear in the afternoon? Is it when a person doesn't invite needy people or the embittered to eat with him and his family? Or there is no such statement in the Rambam. Number five, which type of Erev is not discussed in the laws of Erev? Is it an Erev Chatseris, Tchumen, Tavshilin, or none of the above? Number six, regarding which prohibitions the Rambam suggests not to protest, it's better they should do so unintentionally than intentionally so. Is it ladies who eat uh, until dark, right before Yom Kippur? Is it ladies that, who carry handkerchiefs in their pockets on Shabbos? Is it people who wear weekday clothing on Chalamayr? Or is it people who are lax in, the, in their attendance of Simchas Pesach Number seven, how is it possible to be high of Malchus for owning chametz on Pesach? How is that possible? Is it A, if you didn't get rid of the chametz before Pesach? B, if you made chametz on Pesach? 
See if you purchased Chametz on Pesach, or answers B and C. Number eight, for which halacha does the Rambam bring the Pesach? Is that broad so that the teacher, that one should have kavana, that he is standing in front of Hashem while blowing a shepherd? Is it that in the Besamekdash a shepherd was accompanied by trumpets? Is it to help identify what is considered true in the Torah? Is it to is it to need to say in Musaf of Rosh Hashanah? Number nine, regarding which of these mitzvahs does the Rambam mention visiting the sick, visiting a sick sick people when the mitzvah item is still in one's hands? Is that the shayfer, the lulav, the megillah, or none of the above? And finally, pertaining to which halacha does the Rambam write that there should be is big meals? Is that the simchas beisasheva? Is that the second day of Yom Tov so people were treated with proper respect? Is that for the witnesses who came to testify about the new moon? Was that providing about providing food for yamtiv for the needy? And we'll give a few more moments for everyone to finish, and we will for the answers for everybody. The winner of which will receive a Rambam. Which Rambam is it is going to be received? I don't remember exactly which one it is. You'll have to look at the flyer. I'll look at it as we go. Sorry, it is a set of Eitzer Hamelach on the Rambam. Sorry, thank you. That is the winner of today's trivia. If we can please take down the trivia now and we will provide the answers. Okay. The halachas that are not mentioned in this book are Svir Sa'imer. The one that has 30 chapters in it is Hilcha Shabbos. A sit is measure is a measurement from the thumb until the pinky when the fingers are, when they're stretched apart to the limit. Um, the Rambam tells us that when you uh, have a meal and you don't invite needy people to your meal, that is not real joy. The type of Erev that is not mentioned in this book is an Erev Tavshilin is not mentioned here. Um, we are told, when should you not tell people what they're doing is wrong? That's the ladies who eat. And they eat until right before Yom Kippur, until the evening on Yom Kippur. Um, how is it possible to be Chayiv Malkus for owning chametz? B and C, meaning if you made chametz or if you own chametz. Um, where the, the Pasuk that teaches us that in the Mesa Mikdash, the Shefer was accompanied with trumpets. The Ramam told us you visit someone with a lulav in your hand. And finally, where whom had the big meals? The big meals were created for the witnesses who would come to testify for a new moon. Thank you everyone very much for joining us and who will join us and who's live and will be live. Please join us in just a few weeks as we conclude Sefer Nashim. Some of the, this book actually contains the chapter with the longest, the most number of halachas. Some of the chapters, some of the prakim in this book are fairly complex. Uh, and the Abishas should give us each the strength, the ability, and the understanding to be able to read, learn, and study Rambam with greater enthusiasm and chayas. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, of course, to Rabbi Tula Lane, who's behind the scenes orchestrating today's Zoom. Thank you to Rabbi Cantor, who is the, uh, from uh, uh, Switzerland, uh, who is the uh, uh, energy of keeping this going, and to all those who are involved, Rabbi Zaklis, Rabbi Bush, Rabbi Darren, and all those who are involved, I'm sorry if I'm missing your name, Rabbi Glasman, and so many others who put these programs together and allow these to take place for all of our benefits. Hatzlacha, good evening, good morning, and good afternoon. Thank you very much.